Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Labyrinth. In the year 1986. 86? In the year 1986. In the year 1986, we danced the magic dance. With Muppets? Mm. We can call them Muppets, right? Jim Henson yeah. directing. I mean, they're they're scruffier than your normal Muppet, but but they count. I mean, Yoda is Yoda a Muppet? Yoda's a Muppet. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, okay. There's a, just it's not controversial. That's cool. Uh, it is Labyrinth today. Uh, a stalwart of people our ages and around that age's existence, I guess. This is Matt. This is Luke. I'm not your age. <laughs> well, I'm, I said below or above, um, but you didn't let me get to call this sanctuary of fantasy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get that John Lovett's Tales of Ribaldry thing going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, the woodsman, which I guess mm. kind of is a citadel of whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that kind of is labyrinth. So it's like weird horniness and David Bowie's. You know, crotch bulge and all that. <laughs> I didn't even take a minute to get to that. I think. Um, I guess right, I'll I will share my my biggest anecdote. Um, so I didn't watch this as a kid, but I watched it when I was my early twenties with my then girlfriend, who did grow up watching this as a kid. And amongst her and her siblings, they called a penis a David. Because of this film. Oh my god, dude. And then when he shows up on screen, they're like, look, it's David's David. <laughs> oh okay. well Peter it, it lets Peter off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I this this is deep in my childhood. Deep enough that I can tell you I saw this and Lady Hawk in the theater. I saw one of them at Atlanta's Tara and the other one at Phipps Plaza. I don't remember which is which, but <laughs> I have distinct memories of seeing those two fantasy movies at the the, the more hoity-toity Atlanta theaters and um, really liking Labyrinth, but also being terrified. I guess I failed the test. They say, like, you know, how you react to David Bowie and Labyrinth is a test. And I could I didn't, like, properly get into Bowie until, like, 10 years later, at which point I really got into Bowie. <laughs> oh, I bet you'd like to get into Bowie, huh? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> hey, okay, hey, I actually like that one. <laughs> hey, if they say you got to go Donga Dude now, I'll I'll choose 70s era Bowie. <laughs> that's a that surprise was, to no one. Yeah, that was, that, that's that's the pick. But yeah, yeah, of course, uh, you know, 7-year-old Matt was there for for the Muppets mm. um more or less. 
Um, it is kind of a weird movie to take your kids to, which I think they said on the set a lot too. So, <laughs> yeah, but often those are the films that kids actually like, like, and remember. Is the yeah. one that that's not necessarily what you think of as a kids' film. Mm, yeah, that's that's true. Now, um, I did once go see. And then, Andrew, don't interrupt. I'm going to do this as a precursor for you. I once saw the Labyrinth exhibit at the uh, Center of Puppetry Arts where they have a lot of the old uh, Muppets and costumes and stuff. And if I remember, Andrew, you were making yearly pilgrimages to this. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know how. I, well, I'm, we're a mem- we have my family has a membership there and we have for many years. And so I'm there a lot. I mean, right. I'll, I'll know if they, I'll know if they moved uh, like a garbage can. but yeah i i definitely it was very cool display i i guess that's what happens when your city is willing to have a center for puppetry arts you you get stuff like that and uh Mm -hmm. then there was what was the this was like good like last time i was in america where they had a pretty major um jim henson exhibit which maybe did you go did i go with you i know i went with mark Uh, there was one in the Puppetry Arts Center, and then there was another one that was a uh, traveling exhibit that was not no, at the Puppetry Arts Center. That's the one. That's the other one where I think they had some labyrinth stuff there too. Yeah. Now that one was um, that was the the collection from the Smithsonian, mm. and uh, it was making the rounds, and so it was there. I went a few times while it was there. <laughs> I was there for a few months, so I was there. Yeah, probably three times, something like that. Yeah, I went a little tangled in in the brain too, but um. You, you, you and I grew up together. We, we didn't really talk about Labyrinth. And we, and we talked about Muppets a fair amount, but I don't think we got into Labyrinth much. So what's, what's your history on it? Well, my as it turned out, I did, my parents really didn't like take us to see that many kids' movies. The only stuff that my parents took us to see were things that they also thought were cool. So because we watched The Muppet Show at home, and we listened to the records and watched The Muppet movies, anything that said Jim Henson on it, my parents were like, oh, cool. Well, we'll enjoy this too. It won't be, we won't have to sit through the Care Bears or the Transformer, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, we were, um, <laughs> we, not only did we like watch Labyrinth a lot, uh, we also watched the making of Labyrinth a lot, which just was a mind blowing experience. And so, um, it was probably my introduction to how movies are made. Okay, and I, I guess we'll get a little deeper into that, but let's do the um, summary first. I did write it. I'm asking Luke to read it. I mean, I, I just need the accent and, you know, of course, do it sexy, right? Right. right. <laughs> I would do my best. I'm no David Bowie. I just, like I said, we just need the accent, really. So. Young Sarah is quite the drama queen, lost in her world of childish things. She throws a tantrum after being saddled with babysitting her infant brother, Toby, 
and wishes him away to the Goblin King, Jareth. She instantly regrets her action and chooses to reclaim her brother from the Goblin City. But to do so, she must navigate the Labyrinth, a place of ever-shifting walls where time, space and logic all break down. She passes through an oubliette or bottle dungeon and the bog of eternal stench, but only with her help of her new friends. There's Hoggle, a troll who is at first tasked to betray Sarah, a gentle giant named Ludo, and an aggressive small dog knight, Sir Didymus. The lot of them pass through surreal mind games immediately surrounding the Goblin City, enter and face the Goblin Guards, finally making it into the Citadel. Sarah confronts Jareth alone. Realising that Jareth has no power over her, the world of the labyrinth breaks down, with Sarah finding herself back at home, Toby safe in his crib. It seems young Sarah has grown up a bit, but not so much as to refuse a film-closing Muppet party. Muppet party. Um, I think I've introduced uh, theatrical screenings of this movie at least four times uh, over the course of the last twenty years or so. I've also um, introduced a drive-in screening of it recently. So I think probably the drive-in uh, over this uh, summer two thousand twenty-two is the last time I went to see it. Oh, um, I'm talking about your personal Muppet party. Like oh, at my the personal end of the movie. Oh no, that's all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume, I assume have... that's what happens when we end the meeting. All the Muppets drop down from the ceiling. <laughs> Should you need us? <laughs> but um, Should yeah, you need us. Should of course, we need us. We already talked some Bowie. I guess we should talk about Jennifer Conley first, just to break <laughs> things up a bit. <laughs> so I know she's done other films, but to me, she's just done Labyrinth and Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> And like to be fair, she looks amazing forty years apart. You got to give her that. You saw her in Noah, but you probably forgot that movie. You put shoved that one down the memory hole. No, I don't. I, don't, I haven't <laughs> forgot that movie, but I forgot she was in it. What else is she in? Requiem for a Dream, A Beautiful Mind. Oh, she's in a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, she's she's in like real movies, not ones where like robots smash stuff up or there's fighting goblins and stuff. I, I, I guess... watch those. That's why we're changing the podcast <laughs> I, I... <laughs> <laughs> to force me to watch those. <laughs> I, I guess that's um, uh, part of the you're 10 years younger because everybody, Andrew, in my age had a crush on Jennifer Conley, David Bowie, mm. or both. And then probably a few on Sir Didymus. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and the people like them puppets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, for, for someone seven eight nine th- this is this is your awakening you can go with bowie you go with jennifer you go with both right right <laughs> but she does inhabit an interesting space here I-, I guess part of the weirdness of the movie is that she plays 
kid and adult at the same time, like really well. Mm. Like, like she does a better job than most movies of having elements of both. Cause usually it's like the child's body acts like an adult or, you know, Clifford or something. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because this film has a more realistic idea of being like, it's not a clear line. You're a child, you're an adult. Like when you're an adult, you completely give up all the things you liked as a kid because that's not how it works. And the less, like, like you said in your um, your summary, she doesn't grow up so much she has to completely stop hanging out with Muppets because none of us grow up so much we have to completely stop hanging out with Muppets. Well, you know, I we hang just out have with to. Muppets. We just have to accept that there's other responsibilities sometimes as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm within without even moving from my chair. I've got two big stuffed monsters right next to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've got a Muppet Show poster to the right of me here. I've got Gay Yoda over there. I've got the Audrey 2 that my friend made for me. Um, there's a Gonzo doll there. Uh, How many yeah. times in a week does the Cookie Monster go to a lesson with you, Matt? I try to keep it sparingly so he's more of a legend. But yeah, because <laughs> sometimes kids will be for weeks like, what happened to Cookie Monster? Where's the Cookie Monster? So next week, yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, what was a few days ago? Um, a kid was like, what's your favorite character? It's like, oh, my favorite character is Cookie Monster. And he's like, my favorite character is blah, blah. I don't like the Cookie Monster. So, of course, I had to go into the next room, get the Cookie Monster to verbally lambast him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah 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 he, he makes his appearances when he needs to <laughs> mm. um i yeah this was my image of david bowie for like 10 years as well like you know long hair weird bowie right i i, I didn't know bowie was like usually a short hair guy right <laughs> <laughs> that really threw me i off mean that, that is there usual when it comes to bowie he regenerates more than the doctor like <laughs> I don't know that there is a usual when it comes to David Bowie. No, but the like the MTV generation, which is what I'm part of. Uh, mm. You know, we saw him in the um, there was the, the Let's Dance video, and also um, the Dancing. The Street. Yeah, there was there was a. I mean, he was a a fairly constant presence, and although his image did change, he never quite looked like he did in Labyrinth. So mm. it was easy to it was easy to kind of separate those uh, when I, mean, I, I watched. I didn't think about it being David Bowie. I mean, I yeah. guess the closest Bowie to Jareth would be Ziggy Stardust, but that's kind that's different, you know? Mm. That's more of the kabuki thing where this is more of the um Renaissance fair thing. Right. Oh god, yeah, you'd have to rock this con uh costume in a Renaissance fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. <laughs> oh, it's been oh, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, never that, quite as question. well as David Bowie, obviously. But oh, well, obviously not. So um, we are but mortal men. How do you feel about <laughs> him as an actor? I feel like he doesn't. He didn't do much acting, but usually knocked it out of the park when he showed up. Well, is it because he's just being he's Bowie? He's so and we strange, like... right? So he just has to show up to be Bowie. Like, because yeah. I mean, one of my all-time favorite films is The Prestige, and obviously when he shows up as Tesla, is he acting? I guess he's doing <laughs> an accent, but mostly he's just Bowieing. But it's, you you don't write him into roles where he doesn't Bowie. So, I mean, he's in the Last Temptation of Christ as Pontius Pilate. That's a pretty intense and and per, I mean, it's a it's a Scorsese movie, and suddenly, whoa, it's Bowie. And mm -hmm. of course, Zoolander. That's that's the best Bowie appearance. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess he. I, I guess they just had a certain energy that you needed him for. Like, 
I mean, he was he started off as a mime, you know, so obviously he did have some kind of acting chops. Yeah, well, he what he does here that works really well is he's, of course, he's sexy and powerful, but there is still a slight awkwardness to his interactions with Sarah. That like you do feel like here is this weird magic man who for some reason has fallen in love with this teen, <laughs> like it works. The creep factor, I, I, I guess. Well, that's it. Yeah, it is. It is a kind of creepy. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I guess he's kind of her id, right? And mm. you know, you can read into what you want that a, a magicized Bowie is her id. But hey, that's probably true for a lot of people. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do we talk about the, the 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 real characters in this movie now? No, so I, I do like both of those actors quite well. So I'm not. It, gonna... it it is strange to think that the part there's those two. We occasionally have the baby on screen, and the parents have like a cameo at the start. <laughs> but otherwise, these actors are just walking around surrounded by puppets. It's great. <laughs> That's what they call living a dream. <laughs> but what's what's especially great? Um, not to do this so early in the podcast. If this film was made today. They'd be walking around with CGI characters and it wouldn't have the same feeling that the character is interacting with them. What did Brian Whereas, Henson do a few years ago? He, it was a happy town murders or something. Happy time. Yeah. Oh did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did that, that didn't, did that CGI stuff or did he go full puppet zone? He it was puppets, but they're, but they've done CG assists with the Muppets for a very long time mm. where they'll, you know, kind of like how they do BB eight where they erase the puppeteer, you know, mm. Yeah, uh, I think of, even a lot, a lot of like stop motion does that these days, right? Yeah, and so um, with Happy Time Murders, um, just on a technical level, um, it propelled puppetry like really far forward with a lot of the things that the puppets can do. So um, it's a fine, the movie's fine. I mean, it's funny, but it's in terms of the puppetry, uh, what they they're able to do with it. No, they haven't replaced uh, puppets with CG. As, as a matter of fact, the movie wouldn't have worked had they done that instead they just used the cg to like erase things you know mostly I mean, and even even the recent muppet movies presumably do that a bit right mm -hmm. yeah they do yeah so i'm thinking yeah, if, you were to, if you were to remake labyrinth is it too nepo baby to just hire brian henson to make it <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't He's... think you remake labyrinth i think that's the thing no it's I, I, such I a product of his times yeah 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 no, he's he's really interested in uh he's more interested in filth <laughs> than people probably realize. And he got a there lot is... of criticism there on that happy time murders, but he was like, I oh, haven't like, my, seen my any of it. It's, hilarious. it. it's great. But there's I, a recent I really like... Dark Crystal sequel. And oh, yeah. that looked like it was using a lot of fairly legit puppetry. It did, yeah, but there was I would say there's more CG in the Dark Crystal series. That was a Netflix series. They used okay. more CG in, in that one than I was maybe expecting. Okay. So who, if, if you were to remake Labyrinth, though, who who would you make your Goblin King now? Who's, <laughs> who's like today's Bowie energy? 
Well, or an energy that would work because I right, yeah, yeah, quite so, a strange energy. I already have my answer. But I do too. I, um, I forgot his name. He's Kylo Ren. Oh, Adam, Adam Driver. Dri Adam Driver. Adam Driver. No matter how cool and sexy he's being, is always so weird and out of place <laughs> and creepy. It would be. It would be a different film, but I think Adam Driver would do a pretty good Goblin King. Yeah. Andrew, how about you? Okay, well, Laverne Cox would be the first choice because Laverne was such an excellent Frankenfurter in uh, the uh, stage version of um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, uh, you know, Frankenfurter is partially based on Bowie anyways. And so that would be a... But I also think Kate Blanchett would do very well. Mm. Those are both fun picks. I went with, with Tyler Perry because we can play with the drag stuff more. <laughs> Oh, a Medea Labyrinth? Yeah, a Medea Labyrinth. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> I would be the first. I would, I would, I would like push past. I would knock people over to get the first ticket for Medea Labyrinth. <laughs> it would just be the goblin Medea then. That's that's my that's yeah. So obviously a different energy in Bowie, but I, I like more Muppety. I think I think that's more Muppet friendly. <laughs> oh my god, I could totally recast Labyrinth with just people from Tyler Perry movies. <laughs> like that would be. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get onto something else before I sit here and make my mental list and then announce okay. it. Like, and who is Aunt Bam? We don't care, Andrew. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Favorite favorite Muppet in this movie? Is this for me or yeah. Luke? Hey, guy, right, right, I, yes. I was looking at your end of the screen, Andrew, but it could be for anybody. Oh, okay. Um, my my favorite Muppet, yes, yeah, Sardinimus, in this movie. Um. I just love his voice and that he rides mostly on an actual dog. Uh, you can, you can totally tell when it's not an actual dog, but uh, yeah, the Didymus, not only is he just a funny character, but I always, when I introduce labyrinth, I usually say this is like Monty Python and the Muppets together because that's really the writing and the humor of it. It's just like the perfect marriage of the humor of those two. And you see how well they kind of work together. And I think he is the most Python character. Although I mean, I, there's. It isn't one of those cases where it's like Terry Jones writes first draft. They do lots of other drafts, but they still credit him in the end kind of thing. It might be. That's that's all really those films. Yeah. yeah, yeah but we'll, but... Give, we'll, give, we'll give it to Terry because he's, you know, he's got our sympathies. Yeah. The DNA certainly tracking. Right. So. That, oh, yeah. that, I mean, you know, the, the thumbprint would still be there a little bit. And uh, Sir yeah. this was definitely my, my childhood choice. I'm sitting here wondering if it would still fit as my choice. Didymus like, is definitely do... up there for me because I love small character who thinks they're big and strong. It's just one of my favorite, like, in anything. Um, I, I, I really love Ludo just as in terms of the puppetry, though. Just I love oh, a big God. monster, a big on-screen yeah. practical monster. Yeah, Ludo has day. the best moment for me in the movie because uh, when he runs across the the rocks in the bog of eternal stench, mm. they just that's the best yeah. part of the movie. Yeah, I, I think I'm also kind of flipping over to liking Ludo better. And and one of the things is um, when they're having the the siege or the battle of the gobs goblin town, and he kind of comes up out of the building, mm. and I'm like. This is the second time Jim Henson's gotten close to a climax of his movie with a giant red Muppet coming out of the top of a building. That's great. <laughs> Precisely. 
Yeah. No, if I were going to put together a great triple feature, um, it would be um, Holy Grail, Labyrinth, and then A Nightmare on Elm Street. Because Labyrinth, oh. for all of its originality, does copy the ending of Elm Street. Hmm. Yeah, we we recently did the Never Ending Story. And I was like, oh, here's another movie we're also ending in this weird deconstructing astral space or something. I, I guess that's a like, you know, eighties thing. <laughs> well, you know, that, that was fantasy before fantasy sort of just became. Oh, it's just real world stuff, but they wear suits of armor. Mm-hmm. It's like um, the old Ebert thing about Star Trek Generations, where it's like sci-fi can do anything. So why does it end with a punch up on a bridge? <laughs> fantasy can be anything so why does it end with just dudes and swords <laughs> yeah and how come they could never imagine black people doing that stuff because it's not historically accurate to this fictional land Andrew <laughs> <laughs> well again in, tell- in, in Labyrinth I guess we can at least be like hey there's only five people in this movie and one of them's a baby <laughs> right <laughs> I was just being and four of them are supposed to be related <laughs> being funny no, oh, no, 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 I, no, I am on your side. That wasn't a real counter argument. <laughs> <laughs> we just did Conan too, right? Where we got um, James Earl Jones in a totally bizarre role, but you know, kind of weirdly affecting. So, oh hell yeah, <laughs> enjoyable, just unexpected. down andrew is in yeah the, at, at your chamber now sorry if you're not listening as you probably are his this video just went the other way but we can sorry we can probably live with I, that. it's because it's because i was sending everyone uh a picture in the chat oh, okay <laughs> christ I, I, I only see the bottom part of it first oh, oh it's well. like a whole oh okay ah Okay, Matt, would you like to describe the comic strip that Andrew has just shared us for the audio? This is it's related to fantasy filmmaking. Yes, yes. A a a black kid shows up to Hogwarts, is given his broom, and while all the white wizards are flying around the air, he is sweeping the pathway because Hogwarts can only have one token at a time. (laughs) One token student (laughs) of each race, (laughs) not gender. Yeah. no there there was a that was just a little segue based on my comment there for more yeah. of the official podcast your podcast your opinion on hogwarts listen to the <laughs> recent game game show hogwarts legacy special <laughs> radio okay featuring such rounds as who said it jk rowling or a prominent member of the nazi party <laughs> so... So I, I feel like Labyrinth is in a better space than that, at least. I mean, yep. I, it, I don't know. There's 
I mean, maybe maybe you're about to blow my mind. I hope not, but I don't think there's anything horrible to say about Jim Henson. <laughs> no, no, and and you know he had some of the very first like prominent uh, black puppeteers and black actors on television and in film too. Jim was very forward thinking in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, he he seems like he's in that Mister Rogers zone where I've never heard anyone say a single bad thing about him. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was like asking what's trepidation before, you know. No, I've got plenty of books about him and there's been no, you know, they're unauthorized and authorized and hmm. you know, there's no never been any sort of anecdotes uh about him. Yeah, yeah, I have that, one, one on my Kindle that, that I still haven't gotten around to reading as as well as a Bowie biography I haven't gotten around to reading. Although I have read like 10 Bowie books in the past, so that's not near the <laughs> top of my list. <laughs> Done a lot of Bowie reading. I read like Tony Visconti's book and yeah. That one also gets to Mark Bolin, so which mm. um, I think Mark Bolin, if he wasn't dead, might have made a pretty good Goblin King as well. I would Although disagree. I, I, would not disagree. That would be know, a good one. I don't know if he had acting chops though, so that might be an issue, you know, because uh, a lot of musicians can't act. You know, like when Steven Tyler finally got to do his voiceover, and it was like the most boring voiceover ever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh, why didn't you just get an actor to do this? <laughs> Yeah, I've run into a lot of uh, autobiographies read by the author where you're like, couldn't they have got someone <laughs> <laughs> better than this? Oh, it's him. <laughs> so I do you do wanna... get a lot recently. The recently the issue is you get um, they get a famous actor in for a job that should have been done by a voice actor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the classic one these days. I feel like more productions are starting to figure that out. Like maybe we should you know, get some voice actors. I, I think some of the, the more recent, like actually Disney stuff, not, not the live action remakes, but their actual animated stuff tends to dial down the famous uh, uh, voices a little more, I think. Yeah. Unless I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, I am. I can't think of a recent, like, Oh, it's, you know, suddenly I don't remember the names of famous actors. <laughs> well, we're kind of, we're kind of past, <laughs> yeah, we're kind of past the point of, uh, having a star system in Hollywood, there's only you know three or four that can carry That's, a movie. That is true. D- you know, despite the subject matter, you know, no matter what it is. It's yeah, it's more the franchise that sells these days, not the, I'm the like, name. This, I'm trying to think of if we have like any any um, you know, movie star younger than like DiCaprio now because we mentioned Adam Driver. I, I think everyone knows him, but we had it, it took a second to bring his name up, right? And uh Yeah, yeah, it's it's not he, like a film would come out and I'd be like, "Oh, I got to see the new Driver film." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. They've they've put him front and center in the 65 uh the ads for 65. Well, no, he's he's uh, good. It's just it's yeah, he's, like they're they're I'm not just, It's like, "Oh, I don't I'm think there's, in this there's movie. any actor who's like I would don't need to see the film because of the actor." Uh, I would say uh, at one point in time, that would have maybe been The Rock. That's or, true. Uh, yeah. I probably still have a bit of rock affection. I still haven't seen Black Adam, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or Jungle that's Cruise. Or... Oh, that one's great, too. I love both of those movies. All right. I'm trying to... now. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is the end of Labyrinth copies the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Okay. That's it. Okay, a little, yeah, a little bit of that. Less, less blood geyser. I mean, I know that's not the end of film street anyway, but <laughs> hmm. less blood geyser here. I can get that. Um, 
this is a movie where we definitely need to talk about the the music. Uh, it's in a weird place in Bowie's career. It's kind of like got the echoes of his late 70s kind of electronic stuff, but it's like 80s gloss. And um, this is the point in time where Bowie himself would say, I'm not really interested in making music now, which was clear from about 1984 to 1994. Uh, this, mm. but, I, I, but then again, we played the soundtrack cassette tape of this in the car like on repeat endlessly so the the tunes are definitely uh burned into my brain you know magic dance especially right well growing up even not having seen a lot of um this film like i couldn't hear the word voodoo without not without following up with power what power the power of the voodoo who do you do what remind me of the babe it does get it gets stuck in the head (laughs) yeah it's sure it's not you know Bowie's one of the greatest artists of all time, so this not being his best work doesn't make it not great. <laughs> it is far superior to his other '80s albums. Uh, before well, '80 after Let's Dance, let's say the the three or so albums. Um, after Let's Dance are pretty much hot trash. So the Labyrinth portion, the Bowie portion of Labyrinth is is basically the best of mid to late '80s Bowie. <laughs> Um, I didn't like the ballad, of course, when I was a kid, but not you know. Now I like it more. But even on like you know, uh, station to station, there's a couple of, of mm. the ballady songs I can usually skip. You know, <laughs> he does some good ones, but those aren't my favorite, right? So, right. But I do like the ballady song a little more here. Underground, that's a you know fun little theme song, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I like the tunes. I I'm seeing here is calling them sub- somewhat substandard boy, but still good. So, like you said, great artists. Yeah. Of course, the, the baby. Up, even bad pizza is still pizza, right? Even bad Bowie is still Bowie. <laughs> I was going to say the the baby is Toby Froud, who is the son of uh, Brian Froud, the guy who uh, who his sketches were the basis of um, the Dark Crystal and uh, a Labyrinth as well. That's pretty cool. Love I mean, that. yeah, I guess if you've got to put a baby in the film, you might as well just use one you've got access to, right? Not a twin. Oh, sure. One baby. I don't know. Okay. I think it might have. Well, sometimes it's a fake baby. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was the real baby. They were throwing twenty feet up into the air. He was like, no, yeah, "I think it's, we... it's for the movie. It's cool. Yeah, he loves it. He's yeah. squealing like a pig." <laughs> when you got a fake baby, you, you have to make like, it extra fake. You sound like Matty when one of the Japanese teachers complains about him throwing children in the air at work. <laughs> <laughs> now they love it. It's fine. <laughs> I love when they're I'm just swinging them around the room. It's great. Oh, that one kid got kicked in the head. It's fine. He's 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 you know he's nursing his wounds. He's writing his name again now. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to redo all the sneaker tying lessons, but I just made his English perfect. That's right. <laughs> that sure, he forgot Japanese, <laughs> but English but he, is not perfect. But he now knows violin. <laughs> so. Um... What's the... Okay. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. <laughs> There's some music too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! You were saying bad Bowie's still pretty good Bowie. Um, I, and I was just gonna count, counter. Uh, I think I tried to introduce you to the Beach Boys by playing the worst of their music once. Right. <laughs> well, I I think I'm comfortable. I don't know about you. Saying the Beach Boys are not as good as David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, if if you were to do an average, like a numerical average, I I would probably agree with you. Yes. But is the best <laughs> Beach Boys song better than the best Bowie song? Hmm. Let's 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 make that thing songs people could know. We'll go Moon Age Daydream versus Good Vibrations. Huh. Okay, I'm gonna have to stew on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real question we've asked today. Yeah. That's a seriously existential question for me. Yeah. <laughs> Something that occurred to me watching the film this time I never really thought about before. It's weird that there's a big movie released called Labyrinth. That's not the story of like the Minotaur and the Labyrinth. That would be for Minotaur, like the travel I guess. escape room, Minotaur. But like yeah. It just it just seems strange to me because it's such like a it's a high concept Hollywood kind of name, right? Putting out a movie, it's called Labyrinth. What's it I, about? Different Labyrinth. Not that one. I, I feel like um when when I was a kid and maybe Andrew Cor corroborate whatever we're amusing or not um, corroborate thank you there was the the wooden box game where you would turn the whole oh, I know the one. yeah and it was called labyrinth so I, maybe that actually would have been more on the forefront of the mind in the mid 80s than the minotaur so what you're saying is yeah. that they, this is this felt like a licensed film based on a toy this is your generation's <laughs> battleship <laughs> yeah yeah it's better than battleship <laughs> I, I don't think there's a connection, but I'm just saying, like, maybe, you know, the association might have been there more with that in, at the time. So I, I don't remember if that was actually called Labyrinth, but um, maybe, yeah, I don't remember what they called it, to be honest, because now I'm just picturing the movie logo on a toy box, which I'm pretty sure didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I was a kid, the Labyrinth had been outshined by the um, the Scrooble Scramble. Did you ever play with one of those? The what? Scrooble Scramble. No, I don't know what that is. It's a similar thing where you've got the ball and you've got to get it across the maze. But they're all different. Like, one of them's a wibbly-wobbly bit. You've got to go up and down. One of them's like a little jump. One of them, you're going some tubes. Mm. Oh, it's great. Would that be a good alternate title for this movie? Yes. <laughs> as long as David Bowie did a song called Scribble Scramble to go with it. <laughs> it'll, sound like, it'll sound like his 1967 and stuff, if you've heard that, which is like, oh, whimsical. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, when he was singing songs about gnomes and stuff. <laughs> Scribble Scramble is the kind of song title that you can imagine someone committing some murders inspired by. <laughs> You're singing a singing in the rain again. <laughs> Andrew, you, you you said you've seen the production, the making of several times, which I think I've seen once, but don't have a recurring memory of. I probably watched it on the DVD when the DVD came out, and uh, uh -huh. you, you, you definitely hardcored the museum. So, uh, you want to throw out some fun trivia? Uh, yeah. Um, well, the the most kind of fascinating part in terms of puppetry would probably be the fireys, right? Because mm. these are puppets that are that involve a few different types of puppetry, because essentially they're like you know rod puppets or whatever, but the body parts um, all kind of change around and fly around a live character, a live actor. So Connolly is interacting with all these um, creature parts flying around while they're singing and dancing. It's like really, really incredible. 
And so all the dancers that operated the puppets are, um, they're, they're in black, um, costume, like, you know, like a, like a traditional, like a, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's a type of puppetry where you see the person on stage, but they're just dressed in black. So you're supposed to ignore the fact that you're basically watching a ninja holding a puppet. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's obviously a big thing in like Japanese theater. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of how, and, you know, Henson just being a student of all types of puppetry, you know, he employed every single thing that he'd ever seen uh, Mm. throughout the making of this movie and uh, of dark crystal. And so there are a combination of, of things that needed to be done. And so when we talk about CGI, uh, you know, there the only thing there is that the toolbox is kind of unlimited. You can make anything happen and control the way it looks. But something like the fireys, you know, they, because they were limited by what types of movement they could physically do and uh, what the characters would have to then be built like in order to perform these things, that. It, the result is this weird looking thing that you have there. So it all figured into the design. And I think this, the physics of it, if you're watching it, it's like truly amazing, even though clearly there's, you know, they did it, had to do it all in front of the screen and then they superimposed the background. Um, but I'm just, every time I watch them doing it, like even if this, if the background wasn't there and even if you're just sitting there watching them do it on a stage, it's still like this, I don't know. A very magical, just a very brilliant kind of a thing that's happening. I think it's a classic thing, right? That um, the limitations often breed the like the most interesting visuals and stuff. That one of the problems with CG is because there's anything is possible. No one bothers to sit down and think of something. Uh, the the classic complaint, right, of the DC movie that ends with fighting a big CG monster. Yeah, it's because they were just like, well, we can do it in post. I refer to it as when you when you have to have the puppet on screen. There's no doing it in post. You got to build the puppet, and it's the first thing you do. Yeah, Matt. What'd you say? You call it what? Uh, The big brown thing at the end of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not to take away from. Of course, there is. Yeah, there is artistry in CG, and there's a lot of great stuff gets done. I don't want to turn this into a, you know, better in my day kind of a podcast because no, but I love about still say they need something to go by even in cocaine bear which by the way that's a five-star movie i'm not even <laughs> kidding um they had uh andy circus's understudy performed as the bear and oh, he cool. was as much as possible dressed as the bear meaning he had these large mm-hmm. extended arms and everything like that and if you've seen the behind the scenes of the apes movies yeah the circus did the same thing he had like the extended forearms so he could do the movements and stuff yeah terry notary um and so um you know, all of that is wonderful. And I know Henson was all into what computers could do. He had one of the very first computer-generated images in the title uh, sequence. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, with the owl. That, that owl. And so, um, you know, it, it all is really incredible. But I would just say, in term, yeah, in terms of puppetry, you can really watch the movie and enjoy it on a purely technical level. But mm-hmm. the fact that it's also really dramatically engaging and funny and the songs are great, I, I don't know. It's this is why I I could see it a thousand times, and I, each time I watch it, I'll notice something different, or you know, focus on a certain thing, and just I don't know. T- to me, these are big achievements in cinema. This and and the Dark Crystal. One mm. thing I noticed, and I I feel like there's a story here I don't remember. Maybe you do. Is um, I, you know, I was looking at the na- credit names, and oh yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. And one one conspicuous not name name missing 
from this movie. Do you know where? I, there's no Frank Oz, is there? Hmm. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. Just, I just associate, you know, I guess I feel like they're a Lennon and McCartney for puppetry in the 80s. So, <laughs> uh, kind of. And without, you know, going back to 70s. one of the books and looking it up why he wasn't in there, Frank Oz really was coming into his own by the middle 80s as a director. And so I would imagine he was off on some gig or another. Because they definitely had a few people doing, um, you know, Oz-esque voices. I was like fully expecting to see him. Uh, we got, uh, how do you say his name? Dave Golez? Is it Gonzo's guy? Yeah, Dave Goles. Yeah, and uh, Goles, Kevin, Clash yeah. Is, Kevin Clash is there too on Labyrinth. As a puppeteer, I, I noticed, I, <laughs> I, I was actually noting that usually I recognize the puppeteer names and not the voice names. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Sometimes it's got to do with where they film also. Because, you know, Jim favored uh, filming in uh, the UK. And, uh, you know, that's where Froud and his family were. But also that's where the big studios were, where they could build this stuff out and spend months and months and months because there wasn't as many competing productions. And mm. so uh, it's, yeah, it's possible that just, because uh, a lot of the Fraggle Rock personnel are also involved in Labyrinth. And anyway, I just brought him up because um, uh I just sent to Andrew. I sent you that uh, the Muppets go to Walt Disney World from nineteen ninety. It was or so, great, right? and that I went. I went even deeper down that particular rabbit hole and, and looked at some outtakes from it, and that was interesting because uh, there were some with Kermit, you know, Jim Henson doing them, and when the take would be flubbed or something, oh okay, I'll try it again, it's fine, you know, just like kind of in I guess director mode, right? But mm -hmm. we're just he'd be a little bit like Kermit would like kind of die for a minute, right? But then yeah. uh, there was an introduction with Michael Eisner where they're sitting in the Grand Floridian Hotel or whatever. And um, Michael Eisner kept fucking it up, right? So they had to do like <laughs> 10 takes. And after every take, like Fozzie Bear would say something legitimately funny. <laughs> yeah. Like after a third time, there, you know, just without a beast, like, can we get another guy to do this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's all, I, that's why I love Muppet Gag Reels so much and why I love them doing like live television appearances and stuff like that. I mean, you, you just really see, um, it is really its own, Muppet humor really is its own kind of thing. Mm. It's like a well established thing. Um, and I, I, I for one never tire of it. And I, it's I like, feel like the equivalent that... for me is, um, I have an endless supply of jokes I can make because I'm bald. <laughs> and the same gag of like, you know, just the same old like, oh, well, I don't need any shampoo. These jokes, they just don't get old. <laughs> Plus you like figure it. nothing changes about the puppetry to the, you know, uh, in terms of how physically close all the performers are. So you get really comfortable with each other just by, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, just as a you're result all, of that you're all under that same table bit, bit yeah yeah they're going on down there yeah yeah and everybody's <laughs> arms are up so you can smell everybody's everything <laughs> on a hot set yeah that sounds horrible okay well, um, straight in the muppet hole i got like six minutes oh uh, yeah yeah i did look at the clock anyway i guess my main point for that tangent was just i wonder if the frank oz touch would have made this movie a, i mean i like the movie of course but a little better <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really do feel I, I feel like it's in, in order to be this Python Muppet hybrid. I uh, I think this there was kind of a sweet spot that they hit. Yeah, it. I guess the Terry Jones sort of fills in for that particular spot. But um, with timing in mind, any other final thoughts on Labyrinth? 
I mean, I don't think anyone is listening to this who needed us to tell them to watch Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of a just like a love-in. But yeah, it is. I think it's... Sometimes we come to a film like from this sort of period that I didn't see as a kid. And there is a bit of like, I mean, I guess I can see why you liked it. But, but I think this film, because it does have something interesting to say and because it's weird, it's weird in a way that's like, that does touch on creepy at times. And like, I, you know, I can imagine the kid who this gave nightmares to, right? Mm. It's, it's still fun to watch when you see it for the first time when you're like 22 years old. So like, I don't, don't be afraid to just put this on for people. If you're a kid who did grow up watching Labyrinth and now you've got like a partner or someone who hasn't seen it, show it to them. They'll love it. And if they don't love it, dump them. I was going to say, I don't think in my life now at age 46, um, I know anyone who doesn't like Labyrinth. I've really taken care of my boundaries and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> all that has been taken yeah, cut care toxic of. people out of your life, you know? That's right. By I mean, toxic uh, people, I mean people who don't like Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're only going to know me and so well, and you're only going to get close to me so, so, so much if you don't think my jokes are funny and my jokes are all rooted in Muppet humor. Yeah. I remember your, your kill switches in the past, uh, especially when you were young and dating were basically um, Hendrix and the Muppets were, were the deal breakers. Oh my God. I, I kicked somebody out of my car that said something bad about Hendrix. Yes. <laughs> like I, I made them walk nice. and I was dating them at the time when that happened. Not after that. <laughs> Not after that. God, the, the nerve of that. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> Matt, you've opened a wound. <laughs> oh, my God. Whoa. While you're stewing in that, can you tell us what's up in uh, mid-March? Gonzerific. This, this is okay. the episode, so we're pretty live. Yeah, so uh, Gonzerific. I'm actually working on my first book. Uh, it'll be a photography book, uh, classifiable under feminist literature. And so, um, yeah, by that time, um, I'll be deep into traveling and doing the photography and the interview portions for that. And I'll give more details as, uh, as we get into it. But for right now, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a book that I'm making uh, for my daughter and my wife and my mom and just a lot of the influential women in my life. And so, uh, it's a pretty serious endeavor and we'll see how it shakes out. I think it's the one idea I've ever had that people beyond like the cult film audience will enjoy. <laughs> so I might even make a dollar off of it. Who knows? I, I did a noise like, Oh, you're doing a book. Cause I remember that I'd seen all of this on Instagram. So I did actually know. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. I've seen, just seen the post. <laughs> uh, Luke, our thing, I guess. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on MLSFS pod on Twitter, or on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe, rate and review. And, you know, make sure you are following us on them social medias and keeping an eye on the feed because we may be changing up our gig a little bit in the coming weeks. Um, don't worry, you'll still have a podcast from me and Matt and guests every week talking about movies. Um, but we've got a bit more of an interesting idea that we might do instead of just picking sci-fi films out of our ass every week. Um, I'll go ahead and explain it real quick because I already did on the Akov Disney one. So, um <laughs> The, the functioning title, which is, is not 100%, but I, I think we are going with uh, Films and Filth, the Citizen Kane of podcasting, where we will be looking at the top 100 and the bottom 100 films as rated by IMDb users because Luke loves rating systems. <laughs> <laughs>
I do not. Did you tell? Did you, did you tell Luke how many of the bottom one hundred I have? I, I bet you I've got like easily fifty of them. I own those. <laughs> no, a- Andrew has uh, requested to be the bottom bitch. He d- he requested no none of the the top one hundred movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, no, I I've, I don't think I've even seen all of them. So I've I've seen very few of them. That's what I was talking about earlier. I've just seen films with robots and dinosaurs. So we're I mean, still can... going to get to science fiction. We actually we have to yeah. do all three Star Wars. Uh, we have to do the first one again, but yeah. maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's just some sci-fi in there we'll be doing. And uh, we also have to do Witness uh, for the pr- prosecution and the human caterpillars two and three, but not one. <laughs> the human centipede. Centipede, thank you. Okay. Uh, the human caterpillar is probably no a more for... uplifting story. <laughs> no, for... The very for Manos, for Manos, the hands of, of fate, I can get you hooked up with guests like they were either their family members made that movie or i know also the person that's done the puppet version the stage version of monos and i know the person that directed the sequel monos returns maybe that's going to be in 2027 though (laughs) that's fine (laughs) whenever you get to it okay we'll find our way there to monos the hands (laughs) of fate through this through the the challenges of the labyrinth Coming soon, King Kong Escapes, Super Mario Brothers, 1993, Bang, it's-a-me, Mario!